You're listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. To learn more about our church and service times at our eight campuses, visit 12stone.com. Today, we hear from Pastor Jason Berry as he delivers God Can. This is the second teaching of a four-part January series titled, I'm Done, My Anti-Resolution. So welcome to 12 Stone in week two of the series, I'm Done. And we're taking sort of a fresh look at this New Year's resolution season. We know this is the time of year that for most of us, we're making resolutions saying, man, this is the year I I can get in shape. I can get out of debt. And, And we're sort of flipping that thinking on its head. And what if there's a more profound truth to be had at this time of year. Maybe instead of a, a New Year's resolution, we'd have an anti-resolution, sort of saying that I, I can't actually do those things. And Pastor Kevin started this series last weekend, and we get a chance today to continue on in it, and we get to start and sort of sit inside the reality that I can't. And we don't, we don't love saying that, do we? Especially guys, I'm hard-headed. I don't like to admit that I can't do something. I once heard a comedian talk about the fact that he loves going to his grandmother's house because he feels like he can do anything. He'll walk into her house and she'll say, can you pick up that gallon of milk? And he goes, what, this, this gallon of milk? And she's, oh my goodness, you're so strong. We love, we love feeling like we can do anything. My wife asked me, can you fix that? My answer is always yes. But there's a wake of, of, of home improvement products behind me that, that I was not able to actually install or things I wasn't able to fix. I don't like to say I can't. My kids are at an age where they're starting to ask the questions like, hey, dad, can you beat up Dwayne the Rock Johnson? And they're at an age where I get to still say, yep, I, I can beat him up. I, I don't like to admit I, I can't. My buddies will ask me to go play some you know, two or three hours of pickup basketball And I don't like to admit that if I do, I can't walk right the next day. I I don't like to admit those things. Alabama fans don't like to admit (laughs) I can't beat Clemson, right? We We don't like that reality. It's sort of a vulnerable place that we sit. But as we walk through the life of Moses, we realize that I can't is a profound admission that can alter everything in your life And that's where we get to sit today. So let let me catch us up sort of on the story of Moses, because he didn't start with I can. It started with with I can. See, when Moses was born, he was born into slavery in Egypt. His people were slaves under the Pharaoh of Egypt. And Pharaoh made an edict saying, listen, every boy that was born into uh, the Israelite people that's under the age of two is, is supposed to be killed, to be murdered. Well, Moses is born at that moment. That's not a helpful time to be born. And so what happens is that Moses' mom starts in this cycle that we've talked about last week where she realizes, I can protect him and hide him for at least a couple months, and she does. And about three months old, his his mom realizes, "I, I can't keep protecting him. I can't do this. And she moves into this season of I can't where she puts him in a basket. Maybe you've heard the story and she places the baby in the Nile River and she has to take her hands off and say, I just can't anymore. And what happens in that moment is we discover, wait, God actually can. See, Pharaoh's daughter, the same Pharaoh who who made the edict saying all the babies need to be killed, Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses in the basket And she picks him up and takes him out and decides, I'm going to adopt this baby. A beautiful moment. How in the world? I I can't do that. Moses' mom can't do that, but God can do that. And furthermore, 
Moses' sister sees this interaction happen and goes to Pharaoh's daughter and says, listen, I think you need a wet nurse for that baby. Can I help you with that? And she says, yeah. And who do you think she went and got? Moses' own mom. And Moses' mom realized that we can. She can partner with God in raising this child. It's a beautiful cycle. And that that cycle in in Moses' life didn't just happen for his mom when he was a baby. It happened for him as an adult. And today we get a chance to sort of move into this cycle. You see, Moses, after those moments, he was raised in Pharaoh's own home. He was raised as a prince. Everything of earthly desires he could ever imagine he had access to. He was raised as a prince under the most powerful man in the world. For 40 years, he's a prince. Unbelievable life for him. And then, Scripture says at about 40 years old, he started to see what was happening with the Hebrews, the Israelites, his people under the leadership of Pharaoh. And this is where our story today picks up in Exodus 2. We're going to start reading in verse 10. Here's what, the, here's what it says. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did, it must have become known. And then when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. And in this moment, the first chapter in Moses's life, the page turned and he's now in chapter two. The first 40 years of his life are now over. And in an instant, he went from a prince to having his photo on the bulletin board in the post office as a wanted man. Pharaoh wanted him dead. And so what happened is Moses realized, oh my goodness, I can't deliver like God can deliver. I wanted to deliver my people and rescue them from Pharaoh's slavery and his oppression over them. And when he killed the guard, he tried to fix it in his strength, but he realized, I can't deliver like God. And then Pharaoh was after him. And now Moses has to flee into the desert, flee into the wilderness of Midian. You see, Midian was a, was a little area just outside of the Egyptian rule and reign and the powers of, of Egypt. And so he had to flee there. And when he arrived there, he realized that Midian is not a place that's flowing with milk and honey. This is not an easy place to live. He, he left the palace and the luxury and all of the privilege he had. And now he's by himself with the clothes on his back in a wilderness desert area. See, I can't is a great place to arrive at. It's a terrible place to live in forever. See, Moses found himself inside the the wilderness of Midian, the I can't wilderness, and he had to flee and run, and he found himself in a place where I can't. But we know when you read ahead in the story that as Moses' story progresses, 40 years later, he leaves the wilderness with a deep belief that God can. See, back to the cycle. He, he entered the wilderness, the desert of Midian, saying, I can't do this. He left believing deeply that God can. And the gap between these two places is the wilderness. See, we've all had moments where we go, I can't. 
See, I remember 13 years ago, I married my wife, Amber, and Pastor Kevin actually did the, the wedding for us. It was really meaningful for us 13 years ago. And right before the ceremony, he came into the dressing room where me and all my groomsmen were, were joking around and excited about the wedding. And he said, hey, I wanna pray for Jason, guys. Let's, let's gather around him. And he said something profound that I still remember to this day. And it haunted me for the first couple years of my marriage. He said, um, God, he's praying, God, Jason is about to make vows and promises that he does not have the power to deliver on. God, would you help him to figure out how to lean into your power or this marriage is not gonna stand the test of time? Amen, and he left. And it was kind of like a buzzkill. All oh my guys we were laughing and high-fiving. He's like, Jason can't do this. Help him, please, amen. And I was like, dude, have a little trust. I can do this. So the wedding happens, the marriage happens. We're in, honeymoon, life is good, we get home and his words start to haunt me. You see, I, I started into marriage saying, I am God's gift to Amber. I'm a good, I mean, she, she, really, she really scored when she married me. I, I got this thing, and then I got into marriage and realized I couldn't make her happy. I, I, I realized I had to win every argument, and you can imagine, ladies, how that would be being married to someone who has to win every argument. I, I was watching my marriage crumble in the first year, and I had no ability to fix it. It was terrifying. I found myself where Moses found himself. God, I, I can't deliver on the promises that I made to this woman. I don't know how to make this marriage work. I don't know where your I can't is, but I guarantee you, you have them. It might not be marriage. Maybe marriage is great. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's character. But you too have found yourself at I can't. In fact, that's why we ended the, the weekend teaching last week, giving you a chance to write those I'm done cards. You've written down some of the things saying, God, I just, I can't deliver like you can. See, we find ourselves in these wildernesses of I can't. And Moses found himself in a difficult season. He had just left the palace, just left Egypt, and he found himself in the wilderness. And like Moses, the wilderness is the gap between I can't and God can. And we all need to get to God can because we can't deliver on our marriages, our finance, our character, our career, unless we lean into God can. And so if the wilderness is the gap, what is, what is the wilderness we're talking about? See, wilderness is the place that you live when you get to the end of yourself. It's the place you live where you go, I just can't anymore. And what happens in the wilderness? <laughs> I got good and bad news for you. What happens in the wilderness? Wilderness is the place that things go to die. That's a little bit aggressive, isn't it? But the desert, the wilderness, is where things go to die. And Moses was being led to the wilderness because there were things that God had to kill inside of Moses. But Moses was in good company. Listen, God has a history of using wilderness seasons and desert seasons in the life of the, the biggest heroes of Scripture. David had to flee into the wilderness from Saul, and that's where God formed David. Jesus in his earthly ministry had to flee to the wilderness for 40 days and that's where God sort of tested and refined Jesus and prepared him for the mission he had him here on earth for. See, the wilderness can feel like a curse, but it's not. The wilderness is God's kindness to us. It is how he grows us up. And what happens in the wilderness is this, things die. So if you're taking notes, there, there are two things that I believe God had to kill inside of Moses so that he could move from I can't to God can. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. The first thing that God had to kill in Moses, he had to kill pride. He had to kill pride. 
Whether Moses realized it or not, Moses was a prideful person. Life was about him, and, and in some ways I don't blame him. He lived for 40 years in Egypt, and everything in Egypt was built to make him someone special. He was a prince. He had access to anything he wanted. It was his, anything he thought of, hey, I can have that, any entertainment, anything he wanted, that was his. He, this, the, the whole 40 years in Egypt was built and designed to lift Moses up. I, he was, go with me, he was a Kardashian sister in Egypt. Everyone, wherever he went, he was a somebody. But we're not that far off. I might not be a prince, but... Everywhere I look, everything is talking about from commercials to social media. Look at me, look at me, make something of me. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a somebody, I'm special. See, but God had to kill that in Moses. If you want to live a significant life, you have to kill pride. When Moses went to the wilderness, it wasn't just to get Moses out of Egypt. It was to get Egypt out of Moses, and for 40 years, Egypt had permeated his soul and said, you are awesome. And suddenly the wilderness starts to wring the pride out of him. The wilderness is where things go to die and pride had to die in Moses. See, we see the first recorded sort of instance of what happened to Moses in the wilderness is found in, in Exodus 2. I want you to see this. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, right? We stopped there. Where he sat down by a well, God gave Moses a well. Listen, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up, came to their rescue and watered their flock. See, I love that that's the first thing recorded in scripture because it's such a juxtaposition between the two worlds of Egypt and Midian. For all of Moses' life, he would have never drawn water. He had servants who had servants who had servants that would draw water to come and bring Moses water. And suddenly, it must have been a wake-up call moment where he went, whoa, things have changed here he is, his hands probably don't have a lot of calluses on them as a, as, as a prince, and he's pulling the rope up to, to, to water the flock of Jethro, the priest of Midian. And that moment was probably a wake-up call for him. It was an opportunity. God literally set him up and asked Moses, will you serve? Will you kill pride and serve? And here's what I love. As Moses, is, as Moses served Jethro's daughters, it was sort of a key that unlocked the next 40 years of what God wanted to build in Moses. Because when Jethro heard of this, this man, Moses, who served his daughters so well, he said, bring him to the house. And Moses was invited to marry one of Jethro's daughters. So Moses was married in the wilderness. And then he started a family. He had a, he had a kid. And, and Moses started a family in the desert, in the wilderness. <clears throat> and then... Moses was invited to learn a trade, and Moses became a shepherd in the wilderness. And a shepherd was a, was a lowly position, but Moses, for 40 years, he just served. He just continued to serve, and in serving, God was killing his pride. So for 40 years, Moses was a prince, and then for 40 years, Moses was a shepherd. See, it's really hard to learn how to serve humbly in Egypt, but that's why God brings us into wilderness seasons. 
It's really hard to learn how to serve in marriage, but that's why God sometimes brings your marriage into wilderness seasons. It's tough to learn how to serve in the years of high school students. It's tough, man. It's a season where you're supposed to be, look at me, but, but sometimes God will draw you into a wilderness season so you learn how to serve. See, God had to make Moses a humble shepherd before he could lift up Moses as a mighty deliverer. See, if you have Bibles, grab a worship center Bible. I want you to hear 1 Peter 5, 5. It's on page 1223. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all of the Bible. This is a picture of what God is doing in Moses and wants to do in you in a wilderness season. It's on page 1223, 1 Peter 5, starting in verse two. Here's what it says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And here is the mantra of the wilderness. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself under the Lord's mighty hand, so he will lift you up in due time. See, what God was inviting Moses to do is become a humble shepherd before God lifted him up to become a mighty, courageous deliverer. And I believe God wants to do the same thing in us. You see, in the wilderness, God intends to remove our desires to build our own kingdoms. For 40 years, Moses never actually acquired things. He was always watching Jethro's flock. It never says that Moses had a flock of his own. He wasn't building his kingdom. He was learning to serve. You see, when you carry pride, you're serving yourself and using people, and you can't even see it. You can't even see the fact that you're, that you're, you're building your own kingdom at the expense of those people around you. I couldn't see in my first two years of marriage that my pride was trying to build my kingdom, and I was, I was using my wife It was an unhealthy scenario. God had to kill pride. And for 40 years, all Moses did was simply serve. Whatever God put in front of him, Moses shepherded and cared for 40 years. God has to kill our pride in the wilderness. And he won't let us out the other side until we do. So you might be looking and saying, okay, I... I look around my life, I've got a wilderness I'm sitting in, I'm in a difficult season here or here. I just don't see, I don't see the pride you're talking about. Let me give you a practical piece of advice. If you cannot identify where you need to break through and and where your pride needs to die, start serving. This This is not simple and cheap. Listen, start serving and then gradually Allow yourself to do more and more menial tasks. Lower yourself and lower yourself. Find a way to to continue to serve in more costly ways. And eventually you'll hit a spot where you go, wait, that's that's beneath me. Ah, you found a place of pride in your life. If if your marriage is in in a wilderness season and like I was in the first couple years of my marriage, start to serve. Pick up his socks. Make the bed. Wash the dishes. Let her pick the show you watch tonight. 
Let him pick the restaurant you go to. Continue to serve and serve. And eventually you'll, you'll find yourself saying something like this. Wait a second, I'm out serving her. Ah, you found pride. The way you identify pride is just serve and you serve and pride starts to die inside of you. And listen, you need the power of God in your marriage, in your finances, in your health. You can't get to the other side of the wilderness until God kills pride. And the way God kills pride is is just like he did with Moses. He invites us to serve. So the first thing, God had to kill pride in Moses. Second thing, taking notes. God had to kill distractions. God had to kill distractions for Moses. See, distractions were everywhere for him, just like they are for us. Distractions are everywhere. One of my favorite memories of college was about a professor that was easily distracted. See, my econ professor uh, was a brilliant man from a, a Western European country. He came over, he was a brilliant professor, but, but what would happen, we sort of found a pattern. It was our Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.50 a.m. class. The earliest class, worst case, we show up dog tired every time. So what we found out is that he would, he would stand in front of the class, he would take attendance, present, here, got it, Bueller, whatever. So he'd take attendance, and then at the end, he would literally turn around, start teaching, and just write on the board. And he would write five, six, seven, eight minutes. He was just distracted with the, with the chalkboard in front of him. And we realized that, listen, attendance was already taken. And so me and a couple of my friends made an agreement that, listen, One of us, two of us have to stay in class to take notes, but we'll take turns on which one of us gets to slide out and skip class that day, and we'll send you the notes, and we had an arrangement, and when it was my day, after attendance, he's writing on the board, we'd sneak out, thanks guys, it's a good day. One day, we show up, 7.50 a.m., Monday morning, one of my friends had a long weekend, he was exhausted, he was tired, but it wasn't his turn. Listen, it wasn't his turn. It was one of our turns, and we had like one of those whisper fights, like, don't, you can't go, he's like, I gotta go, I'm so tired, back and forth. And when the professor's back was turned, he just said, guys, I'm out. And so he's starting to sneak out and we're angry. It's, it's, it's our turn, not your turn. And so we didn't know what to do. So it's spur of the moment, we wanted to get him back. And so as the professor's back's turn, he's halfway stepping out. One of us goes, this class stinks, I'm out of here. And the professor turns around and my friend's frozen and slinks back into his chair. And I'll tell you this, he never tried to sneak out on the day that wasn't his again. But I, I say that for this reason, listen. We tend to get distracted with the things that are right in front of us. My, my professor, he was so distracted with the chalkboard, he had no idea what was going on behind him. We had a complete sting operation happening all semester. No idea. He was distracted by the things that were right in front of him. And the reality is the same as was true for Moses. Think about Egypt, one of the wonders of the world, and he was a prince in Egypt. He had entertainment, he had fun, he had wealth, he had riches, anything he wanted. Hey, I want the new uh, Lamborghini chariot, done. It's like, he had so many distractions. So do you. You've got technology that in any moment, no matter what's going on, you can go from where you're at into a different world, I'm distracted by what's right here. Your calendars are busier than they've ever been. Your kids are crazier than they've ever been. We have distractions all around us. And for Moses, Egypt was full of distractions. For us, our lives are full of distractions. And listen, sometimes God draws you into the wilderness because guess what? The wilderness of Midian, not a lot of options for distractions for Moses. 
See, Moses was drawn into the wilderness and for 40 years, think about how many years, I said years, he would have been alone as a shepherd taking the sheep and the flock out to feed and to graze. And when he looks to his left, wilderness, to his right, wilderness, in front of him, sheep, no distractions. And I think oftentimes God draws us into the wilderness to get our attention. See, I'll never forget the first time I saw the stars in the sky in the wilderness. My buddy had a cabin and I had lived, I didn't live in a big city, but I lived in an area like this where there's lights everywhere. And if you look outside, you see five stars. I went out to his cabin and there's a sort of dock on the lake. We walked out to the dock and I laid on my back and looked at the sky. I was awestruck. I, I had no idea there were that many stars in the heavens. It was it was awe-inspiring. See, where do stars shine the brightest? In Egypt or in the wilderness? See, I think, I think Moses was so distracted, he saw the five stars and said, yeah, that's, that's God. I think God drew him into the wilderness to, to let him know, listen, there's so much more of me. If you would just kill distractions, I want, I want you to know more of me. Moses learned to bow to God in Egypt, but he learned to walk with God in the wilderness. Hours and thousands of nights laying and looking at the stars and saying, God, you're so good. See, Moses learned to focus his attention and kill distractions in the wilderness. In fact, in Hebrews, when they look back at Moses and talk about his life, here's what it says in Hebrews 11. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking, again, eyes looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, he persevered the wilderness because he saw him who is invisible. God brought Moses to the desert, the wilderness, so he could see God, so he could know God, so he could walk with God. And in reality, as painful as that wilderness season might have been for Moses, it might have been Moses and God's favorite season together. There was no striving, no, no building of kingdoms, no massive mission for Moses to do with God. It was simply a time to soak in relationship. See, I think Moses learned to walk with God in the wilderness. And we often forget that our walk with God is more important than our work for God. And in Egypt, Moses wanted to, as soon as he left, I'm not the prince, I wanna protect my people. He wanted to do work for God. And when God's going, listen, I don't want you to work for me. I want you to walk with me, get to know me. And 12 Stone, here's, here's my fear. The great tragedy of our culture today might just be distraction. The great tragedy of our day might be all the options we have for where our attention goes. And like Moses, we live in an Egypt-type culture where I have my iPhone, I've got my iPad, I've got my computer, I got Netflix, I got friends to go hang with, I got so many options. There's, there's, there's too much to do with my time. And how sad is it that I could sit inside of that and I could just continue to grab distractions and never know the fullness of God. And the thing that's crazy is when you look at the sky in the city, there's just as many stars up there. They're just blinded by distraction. And when your life is busy and you've got distractions, God is not less. We just perceive less because of the distractions. 
See, I would define a distraction as this. I would say distraction is a plan B that I make a plan A because I don't think God's with me in the wilderness. Listen, I can talk about the wilderness and it's pretty flippant and quick here, but for you, there's real wilderness places. Your marriage might be in a wreck and in a wilderness season. Your character, your soul might be in a, in, a, in a wilderness season. Your finances might be in a wilderness season. And every time that the pressure of the wilderness starts to build up, that's the perfect place for you to begin to lean in and walk with God. And right when you're about to lean in, you grab your iPhone. Right when you're about to lean in and say, God, I've got to kill pride and kill distractions. And I've got to lean into you in this wilderness in my marriage. Uh, a glass of wine will make me feel better. Uh, a trip to the mall with a maxed out credit card, that'll make me feel better. See, God wants to kill those distractions because what you're doing is you are accepting a consolation prize instead of accepting a deeper relationship with who God is. God wants to cycle us deeper into a relationship with him. And here's, here's my advice. I think for Moses, it was almost easier because his wilderness was actual, like his wilderness caused him to change his address. Like he had to move out of Egypt into an actual wilderness. And for us, I still have the same address. I can be in a wilderness financially or my character or my marriage, but I still have the same address in my house. I didn't move. And so for me, when, when I'm in a wilderness, I can't change my address, but I can change my access to distractions. I will literally, because I know myself, when, I'm, when I know that I need to lean into, into a relationship with God and get to know him in a way that I, don't, that I don't know him yet, and I need that, like Moses needed it, I'll have to take my technology, set it outside my office, and lock the door. I'm in there. See, I have to create a pseudo-wilderness for myself because I know that Egypt around me is screaming, and I have to lock Egypt out, put myself in a wilderness. That's why I fast from time to time. So I want to create a, an atmosphere of desperation like Moses would have had in the wilderness. We have to do these things. We have to find ourselves killing distractions. And God in the wilderness will let you circle in the wilderness until you kill distractions and until you learn to walk with him like Moses did. See, and Moses didn't leave the wilderness until God had humbled him and God had his attention and finally, he got a breakthrough. And listen, that's always what happens on the back end of a wilderness. It's the breakthrough. It's the God can breakthrough. And so here's, here's what happens. In Exodus 3, we, we continue reading. And Moses is once again out in the fields with the sheep, obscure, mundane life. And he looks over and sees a bush that's on fire. But the bush isn't being consumed. Like it's not burning. So Moses starts to walk toward it. And when God Saul, Moses walked toward it. God spoke from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, yes, here, here I am. And God said, don't come any closer. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. As Moses leaned in, God said, listen, I've heard the cries of the Israelites. I've seen the oppression they're under with Pharaoh. Here's what he says. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The breakthrough at the end of the wilderness was God was, was sort of rebirthing the dream Moses had of rescuing his people, of delivering his people. The first time Moses did it in his own strength, this time God's saying, listen, I am sending you. See, Moses learned a really important thing. If you're taking notes, Moses discovered just because I'm done doesn't mean God is done with me. 
Maybe that's the only reason you're here today is to hear that. Just because you're done. Moses was done. I cannot rescue. I can't deliver the people. I'm done. But just because you're done doesn't mean that God is done with you. See, in the wilderness, God's not trying to kill you. He's trying to kill your pride. In the wilderness, God's not trying to to beat you down. God's trying to, to kill the distractions. And once God had a hold of Moses, God invited Moses into something he never thought he could get to. And that will be true for your marriage, for your character, for your parenting, for your friendships. Just because you're done doesn't mean God's done with you. But listen, the first time, if God would have told that to Moses 40 years ago, hey, I want you to do this. Moses is like, yep, I'm your dude. Let's go do it. But this time, listen to his response in Exodus 3, 11 through 14. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Don't miss this. Moses' first response was evidence that God had killed his pride. Who am I? And God's response to Moses was evident that God had killed Moses' distractions. Saying, listen, I already walk with you. I'll go with you. See, the culmination of the wilderness was God rebirthing the dream Moses had in his life and saying, now I want you to see that you can do this this time because it's on my power, not on yours. So if you're taking notes, here's what, here's what Moses embraced and we have to embrace. We have to embrace the weakness of I can't so you can embrace the strength of God can. You have to embrace the weakness of I can't so you can embrace the strength of God can. Ultimately, God was just trying to rid Moses of pride and distractions. Ultimately, God's trying to rid you of pride and distractions so that you can embrace I just can't. But also so you can embrace, but listen, but God can. See, the kingdom of God is is all kinds of flipped upside down. Weakness is strength somehow. Moses entered the desert a prince and he left the desert a farmhand and somehow he's better positioned to be the deliverer. See, if I'm writing the script, Moses was better positioned when he was the prince to do this job and God's saying, no, 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 that's not how my kingdom works. He's better positioned now as a farmhand. You know why? Because now he's all mine. He's bowed in Egypt, he's learned to walk with me in the wilderness, and now he's mine. You see, in 2 Corinthians, this is, this is the picture of what you look like on the other side of the wilderness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is one of the contradictory kingdom statements. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's the mantra of people who have been through the wilderness. Yeah, I can't. God can. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Yep, I can't do it. I don't know where your wilderness is. I don't know if it's marriage. For a lot of us, that's, that's a reality. You wanna know how marriages go from wilderness to divorce instead of wilderness to breakthrough? Don't kill your pride. Just keep being prideful. Don't kill distractions. 
just, just find ways to divert energy from marriage and just, I don't wanna deal with the mess of the wilderness, I'll just distract. That's how you get there. Maybe, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's in career. See, here's the kindness of God. God is so patient. And God will let you walk in the wilderness as long as it takes for you to be humbled under his hand so that he can lift you up. God's in no rush. But as you sit here today, maybe like Moses, when he walked in the wilderness, you need a, a moment at the well. See, what, what God did for Moses when he walked in the wilderness, he said, listen, I wanna give you another chance. You built your life for 40 years, but now I'm giving you another chance to start over. And he did it at a well. That's where he found his wife, his family, his career. See, a lot of theologians talk about the fact that the well that Moses found Jethro's daughters at very well could have been the same well that Jesus met the adulterous woman in John 4 at a well. <laughs> when she came, she had five ex-husbands and was sleeping with another guy that's a sixth that wasn't her husband and her life was a mess. That was, she was at the place of I can't make my life work and Jesus gave her a second chance. And maybe today you're here because you need a second chance. Maybe, maybe you're stuck in the wilderness and God's saying, I wanna help you kill pride and kill distractions. God brought Moses to a well and maybe God's bringing you to a, a well of sorts. Maybe God has a well for you. Here's what we that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven It spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope oh yes you are who could
Let's sing it again. Then came the morning. 